Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Welcome to Truest Blood, the official True Blood podcast. I'm Kristen Bauer. And I'm Deborah Ann Wool. And you've been invited in. I want to do bad things. On Truest Blood. Welcome back to Truest Blood, where we sink our fangs into the series episode by episode. Yes, we're so excited to talk about this week's installment. It's entitled Sparks Fly Out, directed by Daniel Minahan. Many people claim that this is their favorite episode from the first season, so we'll dig into why we think that is. Yeah, we got to talk to Shad and Lynn of The Vault. Oh, so fun. They made a fan site at the time, so they know all about (laughs) what it is to be a fan of this show. They really had their finger on the pulse of our fans. And then we spend a good amount of time with Alex Wu, who is the writer of this episode, as well as a producer of the series overall. But first, this week on True Blood. We pick back up with Sookie and Bill as they arrive at Grand's after their disaster of a date. A fight ensues, and this time she calls it off for good. Down the road apace, Tara is going off on Lafayette for giving Jason V. Giving vampire blood to Jason Stackhouse is like giving ho-hos to a diabetic. You know he can't control himself. But when Lafayette goes to apologize, he instead finds himself convincing Jason to give V one more shot, this time the right way. Upon hearing that Suki and Bill have officially split, Sam wastes no time asking her out himself. It seems Sam's idea of a good first date is a civil war talk at her grandmother's church for which her vampire ex-boyfriend is the keynote speaker. Ugh, Sam. But it does seem the event of the evening as the whole town has come out to see the local vampire with varying degrees of suspicion, awe, and envy. Mama, he's so white. No, darling, we're white. He's dead. While Bill wows the crowd with his stories, Sam doesn't fare so well on his date with Sookie. Jealous of her time with Bill, Sam lashes out. They're not like us. They could turn on you. And people can't. You're doing pretty good right now pretty much killing his chances at ever courting her again. Back at Merlot's, Jason, high on V, professes his love for Tara, who is smart enough to see through him, and Lafayette serves up some righteous retribution to a table of hate-spewing local bigots. Back at Compton Manor, Bud and Andy, Bontom's PD crime team extraordinaire, question Bill about the recent murders. He gives them some information, as well as the creeps, and they exit in a hurry, leaving Bill to reminisce about the night he was made vampire. Oh, I died. Oh, yes. Which is also the night he lost his human life forever. 
Sookie takes a cab home from yet another bad date to stumble upon a second dead body in as many days, this time in the family kitchen. She finds Gran in a pool of her own blood. So I think we have to start this episode talking about something that many people have told us Mm -hmm. really solidified their love for the show, which is the flashbacks that Bill has this episode. They're really beautifully done and different because obviously we've been totally in the modern world. So now we have some historical pieces going on. Yeah. What an unbelievable arc because, gosh, it's so beautifully done. We see so Mm -hmm. much. We fall in love with Bill Compton is the bottom line. I think so. You know, and Suki, so. you can see, she, I'm going to cry. She starts falling back <laughs> in love with him. Like, it's so important for the entire arc of the series. It is. And I, I think for the whole town, you know, it is It is interesting that everyone's come out to see him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I can't wait to speak with Alex Wu about the scene uh, specifically because it's shot very interestingly. Yeah. And there's a lot of different you know, things that they're doing. Yeah. But in terms of the actual flashbacks themselves, they're they're very cool and unique. One thing that really struck me is that when they flash to wartime, it's beautiful broad daylight. Right. We're so used to seeing, you know, war scenes being dark and dim because that's our feeling about war. Yeah. So we they want the environment to reflect that. But there's something very true blood about the idea that something grim and scary and awful can happen in the middle of the day in bright sunlight and and how realistic that would have been for fighting in Louisiana. And I guess I I just realized that it was important because we're showing Bill in daylight. Yes, as well. I think you're right. As a human, clever, those darn clever writers. They're so smart. And it's, it's so interesting, that whole sequence tying him to those people mm-hmm. who were asking him and cared so much about their own ancestors. Yes. And he was there with them. So now he yes. can't be the other. Right. It brings him into the community. And that's, you know, part of what I think is so interesting about this episode is this idea of shared history that, mm-hmm. you know, whatever your past is, we are all knit together by history and these experiences that we have had. Um, and that really the best way for us all to come together is to share that history, good and bad. Yeah. Um, our regrets as well as our triumphs. It seems very Southern. I was wondering about that because I, as a, you know, a Yankee, as a New Englander, I guess yeah. I don't feel that same no. connection to my ancestors. Mm-mm. But we've spoken about that before, that in the South and in these kinds of communities, you hold on to these stories and these heirlooms in a much you know, much more emotional way. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, you can see how much it means to the community when he shares these stories. Watching that scene where everybody is fanning themselves, like it could have been 19 yeah. degrees, but they're fanning themselves. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, it's the south. It's hot. It's, it's ancestral. It's, it's yes. church, right? So we it see is. him in a church. Right, which takes me right back to what we spoke about with Charlene, which mm-hmm. was this brilliance. Of saying that, you know, unlike the rest of vampire mythology, these vampires are not opposite to God. Right. As you can see, I did not burst into flames. We vampires are not minions of the devil. We can stand before a cross or a Bible or in a church just as readily as any other creature of God. 
Yeah, I love that uh, in listening to the commentary, Dan Minahan, who I was going to say, I think he's the only director I've ever worked with. When he gives a note, he comes over and whispers the note to you. He says it very <laughs> quietly because, you know, sometimes they yell from Video Village. Right, uh, right. Kristen, you know, don't do it like that. <laughs> And we're used to it. The whole set knows you screwed up. But Dan comes over and says, you know, I was just thinking maybe at the top if you could. (laughs) So sweet. But he said that they found those, the the prop master went and got those fans from another church that have Jesus on them. Yep. Those were real and made for a church somewhere else. and, And they worked just perfectly. I know. It's, there's so many layers to this filming. Yeah. yeah, and the turning, Bill's oh, turning. That might be one of my favorite moments yeah. of the season. It's such a great twist mm-hmm. that she's the predator. It starts out with him hammering right. on her door, and she's this woman alone in a cabin. And, you know, again, talking about tropes like we did from yes. the beginning. It's that perfect twist. We we think we know what to expect, and it turns out that she is the danger. Yes. Uh, so some interesting things about that scene. It was meant to be shot in one night. But it ended up they weren't able to finish it. So the, the first night they were shooting this freezing cold, tiny oh. little cabin somewhere in the woods. Oh. And, you know, she's in just this little corset and thing. You know, it's, oh. it's, it's a rough night, I'm sure, for, for both of them. Yeah. Um, and they only anticipated one day. But the spillover was a few weeks later. They built just a corner of the cabin so that they could finish just the shots they needed on stage. Wow. Uh, I think that's always so interesting. Um, Isn't it? Yeah, to go back and try to see like, oh, could you see the seam? You know, where is the fake cabin? and Where's the other? But because of lighting and hair and makeup and, you know, continuity is an incredible part. We'll at some point do a whole discussion about continuity and continuity on blood is so it, it was so intense doing it's I mean, extremely intense it was yeah. extremely intense you know my making flashback and we'll mm-hmm. get to in season five. Oh boy i had a similar thing and it's weird yeah. when you go and just show up to do this little tiny piece it was practical we call it so it It was special effects with the blood because there was some sort of rigging with a tube up her back or something. (laughs) Yes. But it was done practically. That wasn't done in CGI. Yeah. And Steven said he drank a lot of blood. Oh, boy. Yeah. And as as we've discussed, (laughs) it was not always the most delicious. (laughs) It's a bad idea. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So speaking of that, this is the first time we're seeing the process of making a vampire. Yes. So this draining a person almost to death and then right before they die, feeding them your own vampiric blood to Mm -hmm. replenish them. Mm -hmm. Now, we won't yet see what happens after that step, but that is the first time we're sort of getting a hint into the lore of these vampires. Yes, yes, that's big. And then the third flashback, which I think is really the one that hit everybody in the feels, is when he goes to see his family for the last time. Just sees them on the porch, and the way that's lit, they almost glow. Yeah, I'm I'm so impressed by that. Yes, cinema, you know, cinematic de- uh, decision. And they just changed his hair back to yeah, olden times, and they he yep. had on the his war jacket, infantry. War coat. Yeah, oh my god, jacket. I don't know yeah. terminology. Uniform, uniform, <laughs> Lord, uniform. Um, right. And so for a moment, you're thinking we're in present day, and then mm. oh. Oh, and then she he can't ever go back to them. It's such a perfect foil to that moment at the Glorious Dead meeting. Mm-hmm. 
they walk up to him and say, this says W. Compton on it. Is this a picture of you and your family? At that moment, especially having seen the later scene where he sees them on the porch and going back there, the impact of that, that someone's going to hand you a photo of someone you love so much that has been dead for a hundred years or more that you had to leave behind. And, and those two scenes together just work on your heartstrings. I know. So perfectly. Really made me think about loss for a vampire because Hmm. he's been carrying that loss for 300 years. In a way, we're humanizing Bill, you know, by one, seeing him as a human, but also he can still be a vampire and we can see that emotional human side of him that has experienced loss and it's made him, you know, the vampire he is today. Yeah, the lovable vampire he is today. Yeah. And we also see that magnetic pull of vampire and progeny. Yes. When, when, uh, you know, Lorena moves to to walk away, he kind of can't help but go with her. And and again, that's another piece that shifts a little bit um, Mm -hmm. with our (laughs) vampire Bible, (laughs) our show Bible as we go on. But, uh, But it's a really fascinating piece that they are connected in that way. Yeah. That's, of course, one of my favorite relationships is vampire and progeny. Well, we should talk about Mariana. I mean, oh, she is so wonderful in the role. I'm she's so glad so that she wonderful. comes back and oh. they bring her back over and over again. I know. And I got to do some scenes with her and I can just look at her skin forever. I mean, she's just the perfect <laughs> vampire. Yeah. Well, and her Southern uh-huh. accent was right on. Oh, perfect. I believed wholeheartedly that she existed within that space in that time period. Yes. And she was menacing, but not in a cliche way. It had right. a real groundedness to it. I, I'm really impressed by her. I know. Me too. Because you and I hadn't watched the show at the time. And I watched the episode three times for today. <laughs> that scene, real. she really stands out. She does. Well, and speaking of great actors, oh. the other clear standout this episode is Nelson Ellis oh. as Lafayette. I mean, just magnetic performance. Every piece of it is pitch perfect. Yeah. Some of that is writing. Again, we'll speak with Alex about where that comes. But I think so much of it is just him and his power. Yeah, his brilliance. <laughs> as an actor. He's just brilliant. He's just brilliant. And they talked about that in the commentary that he showed up with the gold turban. Yeah. yeah. And Audrey Fisher, our incredible costume designer, was like, that's he just showed up with that on today. And, and it's perfect. Right. <laughs> and then he called everyone hookah. Yeah. Which becomes why Pam was a hookah, we find out in season five, <laughs> is because right. he called me hookah in a scene. Right. Right. Oh. That that all came from his impro- improvisation, my backstory. Well, and that's what's incredible about working on a series. And again, we'll probably do more on this, but how writers influence, obviously, what characters do. But then yes. choices that actors make influence what the writers decide then to do. And you, you have to yes. inspire each other because it's a long show. It's a long and show. And need inspiration. So that first scene we have really with Nelson is uh, he's guiding Jason on how to do V. And it's just... <laughs> He's hypnotic. He's sexy. (laughs) Their relationship is is a really interesting foil because they're kind of opposites. But then they're so they love each other so much that it's it's a a beautiful bit. But he has this one line that is just like that whole speech, really. It's just like, yeah, warm liquid down your spine. Yes. 
Our blood sustains life. This blood is life. One drop, that's all you need. Can't be greedy. Billions of molecules of pure, undiluted, 24-karat life. I mean. I mean, are you kidding me? Are you kidding? And the look on Ryan's face, oh my God. Jason's face when he hears that speech, he is, he's, I don't know, a kid that just saw Santa walked in the room yeah. and there was Santa. It just. I mean, I, I want to do V right now. I uh, know. <laughs> based on that speech alone. <laughs> it sounds absolutely <laughs> yummy. Uh, I would do pretty much anything Lafayette told me to if he did it in that voice. I did have the funniest um, kind of like weird actor moment because I thought, yeah, my blood is 24 carat. Like, and then I was like, no, wait, I'm, no, I'm a human watching a show, You're not actually but I played the, player, va- yeah. but I really felt like he was talking about yeah. me. Yeah. I was like, damn straight. When he, in that same scene, he talks about how you can sense a vampire's personality mm-hmm. through the blood that for him, because it's a younger vampire's blood, it has some wildness to yes. it. Yes. I just think, I mean, what a great piece of lore for this. Yeah. So then on the converse, we've seen slow, seductive Lafayette. We also get this iconic Again, many people's favorite moment of the entire series. Yeah. Uh, the AIDS burger the scene. The AIDS burger. Yes. Ladies and gentlemen, we present to you the AIDS burger scene. Excuse me. Who ordered the hamburger with AIDS? <laughs> I ordered the hamburger deluxe. In this restaurant, a hamburger deluxe come with french fries, lettuce, tomato, mayo, and eggs. Do anybody got a problem with that? Yeah. I'm an American, and I got a say in who makes my food. Oh, baby, it's too late for that. Fag has been breeding your cows, raising your chickens, even brewing your beer long before I walk my sexy ass up in this motherfucker. Everything on your goddamn table got AIDS. You still ain't making me eat no AIDS burger. All you got to do is say, hold the AIDS. Here. Eat it. Bitch, you come in my house, you gonna eat my food the way I fucking make it. Do you understand me? Tip your waitress. Holy moly! <sighs> I mean, I, I think, you know, in this moment, Nelson and Lafayette get to represent strength yeah. for so many people. Yeah. You know, the, the fantasy of righteously standing up yeah. to bullies, bigots. Yes. It's such an important moment. And, you know, Lafayette has a lot of backup. He's got friends. It's his place of work and all that. But this is also a brave moment. Yeah, this is a very, very brave moment. This is in the South. This is a brave moment (sighs) anywhere. Yes. He's at work. So, you know, it calls me back to that moment, too, where at the very beginning when Tara's banging on his door and he grabs a baseball bat as he walks up to the door and, you know— he obviously he sells drugs. He's a, you know he's a prost- He's doing prostitution. There are lots of reasons he might need a baseball bat, 
but not least of which is the fact that he is a gay black man in the South who is very out and proud. And that is going to bring some attention his way. And, you know, that idea that he lives with a baseball bat at the ready. Right. You know, right. What a terrifying but brave life that must be. Terrifying but um, brave life. So to see him, you know, I think that moment, it's it, the acting is just specific and has levels. Mm-hmm. You know, again, he's angry the whole time, but that doesn't mean he shows it the same way. Mm-hmm. It's just a master class. It's a minute and five second master class in acting. It really is. And how he takes his clip on earrings off. Yeah. When he decides he's going to go confront these guys. Apparently that was something that he got from a family member, his auntie or something. (laughs) When she took off her clip-ons, you knew you were in trouble. (laughs) It got serious. (laughs) And it it works perfectly for it. And, you know, you know, Alan had said something about making sure that as a gay man represented in television, that he was also tough. And this is such a perfect example to go from this hypnotic, sensitive Lafayette to I'm going to, you know, beat up the bigots Lafayette. It just shows this huge range of this complex character. Yeah, it's amazing what writing and acting can do together in a minute. Yeah. Well, last but not least, we have this incredible cliffhanger. Sad. I think a huge surprise for anyone who who didn't read the books. Yeah. Which is the death of Gran. Oh. The murder of Gran. Suki walks in and slips yeah. in Gran's blood. Yeah. And it's such an interesting contrast because, you know, as we mentioned in the recap, this is the second dead body she stumbled upon in two days. Yeah. Uh, so Sookie's having a heart. She's had two bad dates and two dead bodies. I know. And, uh, we forget that because con- our, in our life, <laughs> it's, it's been two weeks since we saw, you know, when you watched it every I week. Know. It's been two days. Two days for poor old Sook. Uh, so yeah, but to contrast her reaction to finding Dawn, you know, Dawn, it was that more classic horror movie reaction of a big scream. And in this one, she's stunned into silence. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I think that does tell a different story about what her feelings are, were for Gran. I know. I, that's a, boy, that's a, Gran is just kind of the perfect human. She is. That She's that voice of reason and that open heart. I think that this show was really trying to inspire mm-hmm. in people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, even, you know, Suki closes her mind a bit this episode. She decides that she and Bill are too different and that because he's a vampire, they can't possibly ever get along. And yeah. Gran has kind of the perfect piece of advice for that. Well, I know that if I had a chance to know somebody who'd experienced the world differently, I'd see it as a blessing and not something to be scared of. Perfectly put. Isn't it just wonderful and so sweet? And I mean, I can't wait to talk to Alex Wu. I mean, I, I have to start off by saying you killed Gran. <laughs> I know. You killed Lois Smith. You killed Lois Smith. <laughs> yeah. This is a big episode. It's a big episode. Well, we will get more into Gran next week as we deal with the repercussions of her death. Yeah. But now for a quick bite. This week, we got our first look at the blood tears of a vampire. Whether that's a small smudge on a hanky or the full-on Alice Cooper treatment, between makeup and post-production, we got it done. For a falling tear on camera, actors cried naturally, and in post, those clear tracks were colored in a deep red to create the look of blood. 
However, this can get expensive frame after frame, so often we shot the initial tear droppage in its own shot for CGI, then makeup would fly in, and following the natural tear streaks, add the red to the actor's cheeks. This gave the desired effect, and any subsequent tears shed during the scene would mix with the makeup and color themselves. Easy as lights, camera, action. Well, we've been talking a lot about how this episode is really a, f- a favorite yeah. amongst the fans and, and really, you know, a moment that people fell in love with this show. Yes, yes. Fell in love with a few of the characters. Um, mm-hmm. Bill, for sure, in the flashbacks. And yeah, we got a chance to talk to Shadaliza and Lynn Doherty. Yeah. Who were so... Of the vault. Of the vault. One of the Pam lines... Yes, the fan <laughs> So yeah, if you're not aware, the Vault was a highly influential fan site during the you know all seven years of the series and beyond. Yeah. Um, and we're so lucky that we got to speak with them because it was a really unique fan experience. Um, yeah, that they created. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was here's Shad talking about the moment she fell in love with the series. I well, I was rewatching the first season, of course, and um, a couple of scenes stood out to me. And uh, I always loved the flashbacks. I, I have to come back to Bill. Yes, is when he tries to get back to his family. Yes, in his flashback, and he knocks on the door of Lorena, what? and uh, she decides to make him a vampire because he is a good, honest, loyal man. Yes. And that's why she wants him. Yes. And that's where, have we've touched upon it before, the great tragedy of Bill comes from. Yes. He was on his way home. He survived the Civil War and he runs into this vampire that wants him yes. because, he, because he has a good heart. Yes. And I think that is at the heart of the struggle that Bill has. She's not alone. So many of us felt that moment. In, that we've talked about in these incredible, yeah. the way the writing and the filming captured yes. this incredible being that Suki and us fall in love with. <laughs> well, I, but what's incredible is that, you know, all, many fans feel that, feel this experience, but Shad and Lynn took this unprecedented step yeah. of starting a fan. She, site she had to actually, learn how to build a website. She'd never built yes. a website. And Lynn moved across the country. She yes. literally moved to California in order to dedicate time to this site. Yeah. So, I mean, you want to talk about super fans. This is sort of the definition of that. Yeah. You're going to talk about how much we raised for charity, though. Right? I want to say how much yes, we raised because I'm very do. proud of that. Please do. And we had that merchandise that we designed ourselves. I don't even know with how many cast members we worked for charity who signed. Also you, Kristen and Deborah, of course, and Stephen and so many, so many. Yeah. Uh, for all kinds of charities, always chosen by the actor, so it was some something personal, something close to their hearts. At the end, when when we stopped posting on the vault, we uh, we went over all the numbers, and we are we came just a couple of hundred dollars short of sixty thousand dollars that we oh, raised for charity. Almost sixty thousand dollars. Wow! Oh my goodness! Yeah. 
Well, yes, snaps. Yeah. <laughs> she had Aliza, by the way. It's kind of funny. Yeah. She, they've never met. The two of them ran this That's together right. for That's seven right. years. So Shadaliza is Dutch and lives in Italy. And in Italy. Lynn moved all the way from the East Coast to California. And we saw her. We know her. Mm-hmm. I actually went to Italy and Shad showed me around. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So I've met her. So they became these fixtures in the show. And mm-hmm. that took some time. I mean, there there was an evolution, I think, in the beginning. It was like, who's this wacky fan who's showing up places and wants to talk to us and then by the end they really had earned our trust hbo's trust and i think to remember as well this is a kind of a pre-social media world totally this is 2008 yeah so the only people that were doing recaps and talking about the show were journalists so to have sort of amateur influencers, if you will, yeah. was was a new thing. It was a very new thing. It was interesting the, how HBO eventually it really embraced these two women mm-hmm. because they were so unbiased. Yes. They weren't gossipers. They weren't looking for spoilers. They were professional, accomplished women <laughs> who took yes. this on as a fun thing and became the center of the like the beginning of what we have now that we're just so used to in the social media world. Well, so here they are talking about the impact that they had on that. I think what we did, and to be quite honest, I think we really helped a lot. We helped um, the yeah. publicity for the show a lot. We paved the way, Shad. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, we, we paved really the way, did. especially you, because you, you went to these events. But it is normal, much more normal yeah. now f- for a network yeah. to, to work together with fan sites, to give them tidbits, to give them an invitation to something. And, uh, and probably HBO in the beginning was also thinking, okay, well, they are approaching talent for interviews. Uh, who are these people? What are, what are they doing? <laughs> this is not the way we are used to, to working with, with press. But we weren't press, of course. Yeah. Yeah, we really grew to trust them. We would, you know, it, mm-hmm. they were eventually invited onto the red carpet by the end. <laughs> That's right. It, it got to the point where it was mutually beneficial for HBO and the cast to work directly with them and invite them to the premieres and invite them to set mm-hmm. um, because they were now creating a space where the experience of watching True Blood could continue even when the show wasn't on, which is what social media does today. I was going to say. that didn't exist then. They were It's totally normal now. Right. But back then, these kind of third-party sites were sort of looked down on, and they really elevated that space. They did. We are so grateful to Shadaliza and Lynn for their friendship and support. I'll cry again for all the years. They were just such a wonderful, wonderful team. And appreciate them. You know, they were our first official interview for this podcast. Yes. Uh, so we appreciate them letting us cut our teeth, so to say. <laughs> yes. Well, today we have a very big interview mm. we're excited about. We're speaking with Alex Wu, who was the writer of this episode um, and a True Blood writer and producer for the entirety of the series. Yes. So we have a lot to talk about with him. Uh, But we're especially excited to dig into this specific episode. Yes, can't wait.
gosh, Deb. So where do we start? Because we have like, you know, know, a whole arc of a series we want to ask you about, but the episode <laughs> we're on is 105. But yes, yeah, so, I mean, where we, I mean, we can start with how did you get involved with the show? Oh my goodness. Um, <laughs> do you remember? <laughs> I, 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 I'm getting old. Uh, <laughs> Aren't we all? I, we all I, are, I, yes. I'm, I'm closer to the end than I am to the beginning, so so <laughs> you'll have to bear with me. Alan, uh, you'd have to ask Alan why he chose the writers he chose, mm-hmm. but I think he has an affinity for playwrights, and yeah. uh, the mm-hmm. sample that he read was a farce that I had written. In fact, all of my all of my stage plays are are farces. Uh, <laughs> I, I've, uh, weirdly, m- my entire television career has been writing drama, but all of my all of my stage work has been comedy. Huh. And it was uh, a play set in the Deep South in the mm. 1832, I believe. Oh, and, wow. And I guess he liked the voice of it. He thought it was funny. And uh, and I like I kind of like True Blood the best when it was funny. So yeah, um, I know, me too. Yeah. So I, I guess he took a liking to it. And uh, we met. And uh, for whatever reason, we clicked and uh, and I got the job. And I'm so grateful for it. Otherwise, I wouldn't know you. That's right. We wouldn't. When I, 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 uh, I did a reading of one of your plays. Yes. <laughs> which was also which a was farce. Very farcical. Yeah. Yes, it yeah. was. Yeah. <laughs> we sense. have talked a lot about the fact that the writers, the actors, everybody involved had to be so rooted and grounded. Otherwise, this stuff would have seemed completely ridiculous. But we had to play it for real. You know, there's so many actors in the show that are brilliant at this. I'm always amazed at Ryan Quanton. <laughs> I know, see. I, I just watched uh, the episode yeah. for the first time in, uh, well, it was 2008, so 13, yeah. year, 13 years. And it was like a Ryan Quanton masterclass in <laughs> right? comedy. Yeah, I mean, so many other people were were brilliant, yeah. uh, brilliant, brilliant, brilliant in, in so many ways. But Ryan was the one who, who filled every single moment with yeah something that wasn't a line that I had written. It wasn't a direction that Deadman had given him. He just filled it with something. And, uh, and that to me was one of the greatest treats of rewatching the episode for me. Yeah. That makes me want to jump ahead all the way to like, I know what is that like to write something and then you're on the set, but then you see the first edit. I mean, it must be really, thrilling in a way to see this stuff come to life by someone like Ryan Quanton who fills every second. Um, well, I, I like to say it's just sheet music. You know, it's a mm. script is script is nothing until someone sings it, you know, unlike right. uh, I, I started my writing career a million years ago as a fiction writer and uh, <laughs> a short story or a novel is the thing itself. It is right. the entire work of art. Uh, a, uh, a script, a teleplay or screenplay is a uh, blueprint um, Mm -hmm. uh, for, you know, the thing that is actually going to be the work of art. So uh, uh, it's just a set of directions. And so you have, as a reader and as a writer, you put up a little theater in your mind of what that might (laughs) seem like. And, uh, you know, when things aren't going well, often (laughs) 
your hopes are, uh, are are dashed. But but on this show, uh, and and definitely in this episode, uh, it, it's, it was so gratifying to see your expectations exceeded so mm. many times, again and again and again. And yeah. with this particular cast. Uh, I'm not saying it because I'm talking to two people who are, I, I'm talking to two people who weren't even in this episode. So <laughs> We're not totally. Episode. You, yeah. It You're safe. Matter. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but there have been times when I have written lines for, for, for the two of you and, and, uh, and, and it's just better than what I could have, uh, uh, expected or had imagined in my own, in my own head. And that's, uh, one of the most gratifying experiences of all. So I guess in, in your process of writing and, and coming to a show, specifically maybe in genre, was there certain research that you did or particular themes that you were drawn to as you, you know, approached this this project? You know, it's funny. This was, uh, it's a really important episode to me because uh, even though it was the, the fourth show that I had done uh, in my career in television, it was the first time that I was given real ownership over an episode. The other shows that I had worked on as a low-level writer, you know, you're always heavily rewritten. Right. And one of the first things that Alan said, in fact, in that initial meeting I had with Alan, he says, I hope to rewrite people very little. Uh, uh, and, and, you know, I might do a little, little bit more at the very wow. beginning, but yeah. uh, I hope to rewrite very little uh, at all. And that... Um, empowers a writer a great deal it it uh, confers a great deal of responsibility um but you know you take it a lot more seriously you don't feel right. like well all right someone's just going to rewrite right. me I don't right know. i'll just right. you know, give a give them a bunch of suggestions and you know <laughs> let the showrunner do whatever they want to do with it uh in this case i kind of knew that whatever i wrote was gonna appear on screen oh, and i felt a really deep responsibility to make it good with whatever you know abilities i had at the time uh, that episode is really really special to me for that reason and also it was the first episode i ever produced mm. it was the first it was oh. my first uh, episode at uh produced level so i also produced okay. that on set so yeah it, it was a first for me in many ways um so it's it's uh, very special to me it's mm. such a special episode you know we've been interviewing people and so many people say it's one of their favorite episodes yeah. i mean i don't even know do we go to civil war or the aids burger i mean <laughs> you two huge characters of this show people fell in love with yeah i i i you know, it's funny. I was thinking about this a lot. Uh, well, in the last forty-five minutes, because I just watched <laughs> the episode earlier today. Let's let's be honest. But uh, um, the AIDS burger episode a scene mm-hmm. was conceived by Alan. Sure, he had the idea of uh, of people returning a burger to Lafayette because it might have AIDS and it was going to fall wherever it was going to fall in the season. Yeah. And uh, when it came time to divvy up the episodes, who, who, whoever was writing what, no one wanted the Civil War episode because there might be a lot of research involved, but it did involve that <laughs> AIDS burger scene. And I said, yeah. and I just, it, it's one of those rare times. It's like, I know exactly how I'm going to write that. Oh. I know exactly how it's going to, how, how it should play. And, uh, sometimes in a writer's room, because I I I personally don't think I'm I don't think very fast on my feet. Uh, in a writer's room, 
if you just pitch out your ideas, they can get shot down by someone who thinks faster than you do. Uh-huh. And so I just kept my mouth shut. I just I think hmm. I know I know how to do this. I'm going to write it. OK, um, so I, I, I knew I wanted that scene. But the thing that I was thinking about now, so many years later, was that you would almost never see that scene further into a series because you have so many other balls to juggle. Right. It's a scene that just that it's just not plot lives oriented. on its own. It yeah. does, has nothing to do with the plot, even though those yeah. characters do show up a little bit later. I mean, yeah. it was right. because they were in a memorable scene. Yeah. They could have just you know been in that one episode and, and disappeared. Uh, you know, having broken so many episodes of television, you always overstuff the turkey. You just like right. you're just trying to give everyone so many beats and so many scenes, and and if it doesn't have something integral to do with the okay. central plot, then eh, it can go. No matter how good it is, you know, it can it can always go. And if it wasn't a scene that Alan had, like, I really want this scene in the show. (laughs) I don't know if it would have gotten into the show. So so, uh, you know, that that's kind of a reminder. I I, I have to say, I don't know if I've always taken my own advice on this. It's a reminder to just sort of leave some breathing room. Yeah. uh, You know, in, in, in an episode of television, because you want, oh, I only have so much time. I only have so many scenes and I've got right. so many characters. But that AIDS burger, people, some people say it's their favorite yeah. of the entire run of the show. Just Nelson. I mean, we just have to take a nod, right? Oh, yeah. Nelson Ellis, man. I, I, look, you know. What he said, what you saw on that screen is not exactly what I wrote. I mean, he made it, you know, he made it a lot better. Let's face it. And Nelson was one person that Alan had given more freedom to to ad lib than others because not everyone is a great ad libber. Mm -hmm. No, (laughs) let's face it. Most actors aren't, I think, actually, because our job is everything that isn't said. So when actors ad lib, I think we're too literal. We, we say exactly what's on our minds, which is not good writing. I was very eagerly awaiting that day of shooting. And there have only been two times in my life uh, where I've been on set and I've written something and the actor just blows the doors off. And when the director calls cut, everyone in the crew applauds. Wow. That, that was one of them. The other wow. one is, it, the other one is somewhere later on in the season in the in the series and uh, and we can talk about that some other time. Yeah. Um but I'm not it surprised. Was, it was so gratifying uh to see something so much better than what I could have uh mm. even imagined. And and I'll be honest, I thought it was going to be pretty good. You know? yeah. <laughs> I, knew, like, I knew how juicy that was because Alan had already just you know fleshed out yeah. the entire the entire shape of that scene. And, right. and it was going to be good. It was going to be funny and it was going to be poignant and it's going to be powerful. But then, you know, the physicality he brought to it, mm-hmm. taking off the earrings, all, all oh, the stuff that, right. that, that, uh, that he did that was nowhere in the script. Yeah. Uh, made that uh, you know sort of transcend anything you know I could have hoped. It was for. pretty damn good on the page too, Alex. Yes, it was. It was pretty damn good. Talking about all these incredible performances and all you know the great writing and it, you can see why it would be so difficult to kill people. <laughs> yeah, Nelson and Lafayette that. being one of those people who was rescued, I think partially because of what an incredible performer Nelson is. Which right. connects me to the uh, to the Civil War yes. meeting. Yes. And 
I, I, I'm reminded by how big a cast of characters there is in this show, even yeah. at the very beginning. I know, yeah. I mean, more and more and more people came in now uh, by the boatload as, uh, as the <laughs> show went on. But even at the very beginning, there were a ton of people. Yeah. And having started a number of shows now, you know, I know that's very, very hard to... Yes ground these characters and the civil war meeting was an opportunity to do these tiny tiny little scenelets these like two or three line scenes that gave you a sense of who maxine fortenberry was yes. who yes. terry belfler was who yes. gran was who yeah uh, uh, people who haven't had huge scenes yeah one thing i noticed about that scene and let me know if this was in the script or something you and dan talked about but you know bill is talking through most of that, but you spend most of that scene looking at the listeners. Um, and I think exactly to your point, we're learning more about who each person in the town is by how they respond to Bill, um, which is such a, a fascinating, again, subtle, unique way to learn about who these people are. Yeah, I think we had to do that that early in the series yeah. because otherwise, if it's all because we spent a lot of time with Bill, we have that, sure. Yeah, we, we have can do the flashbacks, and giant yeah. <laughs> flashbacks with Bill. So, I mean, it's his origin story. So you, 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 yeah, we we learn a ton about Bill. But if you dominate that meeting with Bill, then I think it's a lost opportunity mm. to get to know the entire ensemble, and it's an ensemble show. It is those those lines like no. Uh, we're white, honey. He's dead. <laughs> like we get Arlene, right? And then when Terry goes up to yeah. Bill at the end and is like, hang in there, man. Yeah. Yeah. What a gift that cast was. Yeah. I mean, my God. I'm right. But um, you did, however, have to kill Gran. With, with Gran, I mean, we, we only had Lois for so many episodes. Right. So, you know, it, it, it's, uh, you know, I, I, we would have loved to to have her but there's something uh, that is so integral to Sookie's character that she's kind of alone you know yeah. alone mm -hmm. in that house and you know and there's no one she can really ever fully trust and that death sort of comes out of nowhere yes um, yeah. and, as it does in the book by the way so it's not like yeah. you know we can take any credit at all for it you know it, it's it's a shocking as it does in real life you know when, when yeah. horrible mm -hmm. tragedies happen while we're on the subject of Elsan, you know, mm -hmm. they happen out of nowhere and yes. they happen in unexpected ways. And you're full of regret of the last time you see someone and the last thing you say to them. And so it, it was important in that episode for Sookie's last line to Grant to be just something completely, you know, yeah. a throwaway. It's like, I'll see you later. It, it yeah. was, you know, right. it wasn't going to be something like, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. if I never see you again. <laughs> yes, I've always loved you, Gran. I've yes. always loved you. It's like, oh, I'll see you tonight. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And the way her feet slip in the blood when she comes in, it's, it's definitely a, it's a big episode and, and the civil war stuff is like, yeah. boy, boy, that covers a lot of ground. And <laughs> so we fall back in love. We we fall in love with Bill really kind of for the first time. He's sexy and he's a vampire. Right. But now he's Southern and he's part of this town. And Sookie sees another side sitting there with Sam. And Well, you see his humanity, right? To humanize him. Yeah, yeah. you have to sort of humanize him that episode. And the way he's, you know made into a vampire yeah. uh, that mm. sequence i thought you know was uh was I, i'd forgotten about it uh so good uh, though. i was just having <laughs> the first time we met lorena 
yeah, uh, in right. that uh, in, in that episode, and and Mariana's just you know just so luminous she is. Uh, she? Uh, in that uh, in, in that scene. I, I think it helped Bill's character a great deal because mm-hmm. you know he's he's so portrayed as an other in this yeah. in this mm-hmm. world yeah. by all the humans at least uh, in the uh, in in the show, and then you get to see him as uh, as a person. Um, and, mm-hmm. and the moment he uh, becomes a vampire, and I think that you know helps his character a great deal going forward. It does. It really. Well, I, did. I, I'm, I'm curious about you know uh, the South and their relationship to the Civil War and that history, and as you know, even Bill being a Confederate soldier, and he has an interesting line that you gave him about being of a lower station. They weren't as aware of the political and sort of the reasons behind the war. But I'm curious, like that balance, you know, telling a um, a sympathetic story about a Confederate soldier and, and all of these people who lost people in the war. And essentially, you know, there's a, a tricky balance there to be honest to what the Southern experience would be. And, you know, there's a moment of terror watching them put up the confederate flag and you know i i like that that is present that that's there at the same time that we're sort of honoring as well as acknowledging the controversy of that yeah i i I think you know if we were making that episode in 2021 we might have made a bigger thing out of it maybe um in 2008 you know i mean tara is the only one who's even conscious that hanging a confederate flag is a thing yeah. You know, I mean, it is absolutely no big deal to anyone else in that world, in that time, in that place. Yeah. Um, and uh, it probably in the context would have been a bit disingenuous to make a big thing about it. That with, was my feeling with those white characters. Exactly. Tara would have been the one who would have no. You know, she didn't say anything. Yeah. Um, but you know, we we do have a shot of her, and Rutina can do so much with her eyes. Right, you know, she, she knows. <laughs> right. We know exactly what she's thinking. <laughs> in this episode, too, that I always think about what it must be like to be in the writers' room. I don't know if you had to think about this. Probably less so as the the season that, that went by, and there was more money to be spent. But like that one moment where she's in Merlot's behind the bar and it's that huge <laughs> fantasy scene with like for two seconds on film. Yes. And there wasn't a ton of CGI in the show at, you know, at the time or ever really. Do you just right away in the writer's room, you know, when in later seasons it gets crazier and crazier and it was expensive. <laughs> at the time that early on in the series, we weren't ever told you can't do that. Wow. Um, we did, I believe, in the at the end of the first season, go wildly over budget. <laughs> okay. So, uh, so at some point, someone you know looked at the bottom line and thought, "Wait a second. But then the show starts doing well, you know, and it's like, okay, well, it's the biggest hit you've got, you know, on HBO. Right. Um, so, you know, uh, um, you know, until Game of Thrones comes around, uh, you know, let's let's spend our money go here. For it. Yeah. yeah. Well, in those moments, we listen to the commentary. And Dan was talking about how hard it was to get that one drop of sweat to go down Rutina's neck, perfectly (laughs) timed. And as an audience member, you don't think about it. Even I watched the episode without the commentary. And yeah, he's tripping and he sees the sweat and he's attracted. But Dan said, oh, my gosh, it was so much work. Then the garlic press, they used 
banana, banana. <laughs> instead because it, it read? read yeah <laughs> right so all of these things that writers just write and then we're you know have we have to everyone else has to figure it out I had forgotten about both of those things uh-huh. <laughs> I, I, you know the, the the garlic press is something that I I, I, I it just Banana does make more sense. It does. Right? It, 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 it oozes yeah. better. It oozes better. Drop of sweat. I, I don't know why we didn't do that digitally. I mean, these days you would totally do that digitally every <laughs> single time. I the know. one thing I do remember, and this mm-hmm. this might be too embarrassing to Rutina today, but <laughs> oh, there, no. there is when you see the drop of sweat, you see she has a she's a little birthmark there. Yeah. Okay. I believe in real life she has two birthmarks. And we removed one digitally because those two birthmarks look just like fang marks. Oh. Interesting. Wow. I remember that. That is something I remember. Oh. One of the things I really appreciated and enjoyed about True Blood is that the outlines of these episodes were like two pages each. I mean, oh. they were incredibly short outlines. We would send it, you know, HBO would yeah. want an outline, but it would be like two pages. It's wow. tiny. It's hard to imagine now because, you know, outlines are now like... Uh, you know, 30 yeah. pages. Okay, the synopses on Wikipedia are four pages long. Yeah, <laughs> the I, mean, they were, I mean, they were like one sentence, like, you yeah. know, uh, um, you know, Lafayette, you know, uh, uh, returns an AIDS burger. I mean, that's all right. that is. But, you know, wow. I'd rather it be that than yeah. have every single beat written out, you know, uh, for me before I even get to the computer. Yeah, uh, and the audience may not know, but it's a, a minute a page, basically. So a script will be 60 pages. So a two page outline from the network gives the writers an incredible amount of creativity. I think that's so rare. (laughs) And the other thing that I never experienced before True Blood was that the script we would read at the table read would be the one we shoot. I didn't I don't Mm. think I had one line change ever. And I've never seen that before. I mean, the, the rewrites on network shows are so staggering. Yeah, I HBO and Allen, that combination probably was what allowed that to happen. Mm. You know, you did not have very many people meddling with the meddling show. Meddling is the word. And, and <laughs> I, I sort of I know from experience, you know, when you have someone who has that much uh, clout and carries that much weight, it makes your life so much easier. Mm. Right. You don't have a million people coming to poke and prod and you know and try to do things to i mean almost to that end did you feel a difference not only from hbo but even just within yourself and in the writer's room from when it was a new show to when you were like oh we have a hit on our hands is there a different kind of pressure or expectation i don't know about pressure it it was it was delightful it was great right to to, 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 you know It was the first good. time I was working on a TV show that like everyone knew about. That that was yeah. a, an amazing experience. Yeah. Um, what made it better for me was that we got to know all these characters and the actors playing these characters better with each successive season. Mm-hmm. And you could write for those voices. You could yeah. write exactly. You knew exactly how it was going to sound in each actor's mouth, and oh. that is enormous luxury to have that you don't often have in the first, uh, yeah. you know, the, the first se- season of a of a show. You're kind of guessing. You have a kind of general idea of what Pam might sound like, but you don't know who's going to play Pam yet. So you right. just kind of write a few lines. But then when yeah. you know who it is and you know how they deliver a line, you can kind of write 
towards them. And uh, that became uh, an enormous luxury uh, for us in, in successive seasons uh, with our core cast. On that note. <laughs> so happy we got to take that ride with you. And yeah, it's, I know. It's so nice to see you. It's, I, it's so nice it's, to see you. You too. How great was that to talk to Alex? I miss him. I know. miss him. He was one of the writers that was there almost to the end, not not quite into season seven, but, you know, to know that you'd get to work with him twice a season on his episodes, I always look forward yeah. to them because they yep. were so well written and he so was so well easy to work with on set. So sweet. Yeah. So sweet. I remember going to a party at his house, you know, just personable and yeah. so humble. Well, and well, what we haven't gotten to speak about with him because he's so humble is all the incredible success he's had since True Blood. Yeah, he's a really in demand writer now in Hollywood and and elsewhere, and so I'm just yeah. so happy for him that that's really paid off. Yeah, and he was uh, for True Blood alone. Uh, Emmy nomination, two Golden Globe nominations, WGA nomination, NAACP. Image nomination. I mean, oh, I'm so glad you said that after. Yeah, because <laughs> so I didn't embarrass I, him. By I know I couldn't say it to his face. <laughs> he, he would have just crumbled and oh. disappeared. He's so humble. That was just lovely. Absolutely lovely. Well, next week we're, we've got more going here. Next week on Truest Blood, we're going to be dissecting episode 106, which is entitled mm-hmm. Cold Ground, aptly, because the majority of the episode is Grand's funeral and how Sookie processes that. Yes, yes. Emotional pie. You'll see what that means. A lot of emotional pie eating. Yes. Mm, that's a point. And uh, ends with the, uh, the moment... All fans of True Blood have been waiting for up to this point. <laughs> yeah, it's the, uh, how do you want to say this, Deb? Uh, let's see, the uh, the traditional Sookie cherry popping, perhaps. Yes, the, maybe. <laughs> In the more popping ways of the one. cherry. The popping of the cherry. Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep. We're going to talk with Adina. Yes. So excited. She has a really fascinating arc. I mean, over the whole series, but in this yeah. episode alone, we see a really different side of Letty May. So I'm curious what Adina uh, has to say about that. Yeah, Adina Porter played that role, but her character is Letty May Thornton. Well, thanks for listening, Trubies. Subscribe and follow wherever you listen to your podcasts, and we'll see you next week. Yep, y'all come back now, you hear. Truest Blood is produced by Safe Haven for HBO Max. Executive producers are Janina Gavonkar, Kristen Bauer, and Deborah Ann Wool. Our producer is Gabrielle Gallon, and our audio producer is Christopher Wool. Our theme song was recorded just for this podcast by Jace Everett. Additional music was composed by Timo Chen. And remember, you can watch all of the original episodes of True Blood on HBO Max. Hacks is coming back, and so is the official Hacks podcast. With us, your hosts. I'm Paul W. Downs. I'm Jen Statsky. And I'm Lucia Aniello. We're the creators and showrunners. Each week on the podcast, we'll break down the new episodes. We'll also have special guests, cast and crew from the show like Hannah Einbinder and Gene Smart. Hacks Season 3 is available to stream now on Max. 
Be sure to listen wherever you get your podcasts or listen directly on Max.